I'm SP from the GuineaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is part of the GuineaGeek.com network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geek shows at GuineaGeekNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Crash Couch. I'm your host, Chris, and today I have Laura here with me. Laura, how are you? I'm doing well. How is everyone? We are all fine and dandy. And I'm speaking for everyone. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Lord. Like that Joel? other voice you heard is Joel. <laughs> Joel, how are you? I'm doing great for whatever year it is uh, this year. What year are we in? Uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure it's still 2020. Oh, and it will be for 20. another week. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. No, it's 2020. One-ish, I want to say. No, okay. We're all in the future, Joel. All right. <laughs> and last but not least, returning for the second time this season as a guest, we have Derek. Derek, how are you? I'm doing as good as I can. I, I certainly feel that. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about the latest episode of The Expanse. Well, it's actually technically not the latest, because as we record this, the new one for the week dropped probably about an hour or so ago, so... I guess we're a little behind, but whatever. We'll just have to deal with it, right? Yeah. This episode is called Tribes. It's a lot easier to pronounce than whatever the last one was or that that one we had the the problem pronouncing. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with like normal like, oh, safe no. words. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what is your safe word? I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's not that one, that's for sure. It is, it is not tribes, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Maybe it should be proto-molecule. Or Beltawanda, that's a good one. There we go. So yeah, not a lot happened in this episode, guys. I think we can just, you know, talk about a couple minutes and we should be out of here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there wasn't another, like, big catastrophe, so basically nothing. Yeah, I'm disappointed there's no bars. The best we got was some guy drinking uh, out of a flask around a campfire. Hey, that's still good. Yeah. It's, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll At least it. he wasn't drinking alone. <laughs> exactly. He's just preparing himself for, uh, well, I would say he's preparing himself for 2020, but this is in the future, so 2020 is already passed. I mean, this basically is their 2020, though. They're having, you know, unimaginable disasters on Earth that no one could have foreseen happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's, I want to save the Amos stuff for later, and I want to say the Marco and drummer stuff for later and anything that happens on that ship. Let's just get everything else out of the way. Is there any like maybe small details that we want to talk about? Because I don't really have a lot aside from those two stories or those two storylines to say about what was going on in this episode. Yeah. Can we start about how this episode opens up? Uh, because it was sure, a yeah. big long scene with Eva Solorella, right? Okay. Processing, you know, what has happened, Where's her husband? He, husband has not been heard of, right? Okay. She is at her weakest. She, she's showing how fragile she is as a human being. And then we have the minister of transport walks in and he's completely out of his elements. And yeah. the contrast is amazing, right? Because he had such a strong, strong person, strong character, but who's hurting like she has never hurt before. 
And then you have this fellow who walks in who uh, only got into politics because he thought the person doing the job was an idiot. And he's designing package delivery systems. Like that was his, his shtick, right? Uh, before he got into politics. So he, he's not yeah. used to real politique. He's not used to dealing with bad guys and sinister people. I was strongly reminded of Battlestar Galactica and President Roslin in that scene. That's what I was Because that's say, basically yeah. the way the pilot opened for her. And yeah, I, I thought that was a great scene. I, I really loved that that guy was clearly out of his element, but he looked like a nice, sweet guy. And I love the fact that he's like, you need to come help me, that he wasn't trying to, I don't know, you know, assert his own authority or anything like that. I, I really enjoyed that scene. I think it's interesting because as someone who... I went to college for political science and I went into I went into it mainly because I really just needed a major and I didn't like I had an interest in history and politics and stuff, but I was not like super involved. And even when I was in college, I never, you know, joined any you know clubs or really got myself like crazy involved with it. I just kind of graduated and just left it as is. So I kind of feel where this guy is coming from. Like he just sort of ran just because he thought he could do better than the other person, which is really kind of cool when you think about it, especially if you try to compare it to like something here in the world, in the real world. But I just found that really a really neat little detail. I also like the fact that I believe the scene right before or right after we're looking at a, a long shot of the relief camp, right? Uh, the, the aid station. And you see all these drones coming to drop off packages. And you got to wonder if this fellow, the Ministry of Transport, was part of the engineering team or designer team who designed these drones. So uh, definitely a nod to Amazon, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that was like their actual drone, someone said. Really? Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they, they yeah, didn't look very sci-fi Don't quote me on that because I saw that kind of in passing. So <laughs> I might have just made that up. I'm just going to make up some facts. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely noticed that they up. didn't look that different from modern day drones. It's already a fine design. Why why improve? What do you need to improve? Yeah. Thought it was kind of a neat like way to open it to show kind of where everything sits in the government <laughs> in that it's all kind of falling apart. And yeah, Vassarella is kind of the powerhouse and now she's been hitting her weak spot, so to say. Mm -hmm. And she's also been brought back into a more powerful loop than probably what she was emotionally and mentally uh, ready to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild because she was like the most powerful woman on earth before. And now she's bringing back into it and looks like she's not ready for that again. Yeah. Yeah. But you notice she didn't hesitate to say yes when she was asked oh, to be part yeah. of the provisional government. And it's almost like she, it was just habit for her. Like she said yeah. yes without she processing what that actually meant. A little insight of the <laughs> character. That's, <laughs> well, that's cool. It's probably also like who else is going to do it? Yeah. yeah. You can't, There's not a lot to choose from right you, now. You can't just say, no, this is enough. I'm just going to go back home and, and put my feet up, up on the couch, right? Because uh, the couch doesn't exist anymore, at least on, on Earth, as a metaphor. Yeah. yeah. I know that you guys... Further down the line and there's not a lot more to choose from. You're going to start getting the cooks in there now. 
I knew you guys said um, earlier in the season, I, th- I made some offhanded comment about uh, her husband and somebody was like, oh, yeah, he's he's there. He's you know, they're, they're going through some stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, now now I kind of see what y'all were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, this is we going to end well. <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, there's so much stuff where it's like in retrospect now like okay yeah that's that's foreshadowing and like knowing what was happening was like this is so uncomfortable because you know that they're not going to be able to like reconcile at all it's just gonna end which is just life i kind of like i kind of appreciate the story for that too that that there's not always those happy endings it's just it just stops (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you also have that feeling like of, of dread and just awful feeling in the pit of your stomach when you want so bad somebody to pick up the phone that you're calling and they just don't answer or like you see, and I don't don't know if she's like sending like voice messages or or something along those lines. Like if she can tell if something gets read or seen or anything like that, but that is, that's just, that's gotta be heartbreaking for her, especially the, the way that they left everything. Yeah. That was, yeah, another thing that was hard not to spoil, too, because it's just like, this isn't going to end well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's going to be survival guilt going on. Why did she, you know, survive and her husband likely did not? Yeah. So I think that's going to be a big problem for a lot of people that are from Earth who are, like, on Luna and whatnot. And of course, you don't know. You know, it could be years and years and years before they discover, you know, a body or uh, or or sourced identity of the person through uh, you know, dental records or DNA, if they can yeah. discover that. So you see that yeah. happen in war. If they're you not, yeah. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you see that after like like major terrorist attacks on nine eleven, right? You know, if you're a parent or you know, you, you think maybe your son or daughter will come back, or your loved one will come back. And it's always there, and you know. It probably is not going to happen, but there's always hope. There's yeah. always, you know, what if? That's uh, it's very yeah. sad and tragic, and and I don't think I'm doing justice by conveying that in these uh, with my tone, and my voice being neutral. But it's so sad. Now you guys are talking as if he's definitely dead, but we don't know that, right? He's just missing, right? Eh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's one of those things that like you can't really prove because I mean, with that sort of thing. Like anyone that's close enough to the impact site is just going to be. There's but, I mean, no they, they never said that he was directly where one hit, right? No, he, they just don't know, right? Well, basically, New York City and Manhattan got flooded because of tsunami, right? A third of right. Manhattan was okay. underwater. I think I heard one of the lines said either in this episode, or the previous episode, and he's mm-hmm. a professor at Columbia, which is downtown in New York City in Manhattan. So it's implied that strongly that yeah he's uh, he's he's underwater right now. Mm. Whether he pops up again in, in the TV show, yeah. we'll see. I think probably not. I but think that's yeah, that's movie. like also something that they're trying to kind of leave vague for the audience as well. Yeah, so you get to kind of sit and sit on it with a Vasarala not knowing. I think that's something this show does remarkably well is especially since the move to Amazon, like now that you have a little bit more time to 
draw out some of these scenes that normally probably would have had some some lines or even full scenes cut. I think this is a time where you can just sort of let that marinate for a little bit and just like you feel the character's feelings um, along with them. And that's something that, you know, you don't always get in shows and it's it's refreshing to kind of have it here. I think we had it at times in the first three seasons, but especially now that they have more time to focus on those, um, like like we've been talking about the whole season, those character moments and just more development and those um, the, the time we get to spend between some of them makes it better as an audience and as a fan. Well said, Chris. The only other part, I mean, there was one scene with Holden, which was kind of surprising. I know that there's not really a lot going on with him currently. I think in this next episode, we might see a little bit more of him and the Rossi just because of uh, what we see Marco do later in the episode. But he is obviously leaving you know, for good this time on the ship. It's nice to see Monica, right? Yeah, yeah that's Jenna, her, right, yeah. Monica? It's nice to see that she's on the ship. I really like her as a character, uh, which probably just means that she's going to die because all of my favorite characters die. Um, <laughs> but uh, Or something just really bad happens to them or I have to dislike them for some reason because I do something stupid. I really like her as a character, and I'm glad that she's on the ship. Very interesting to see Bull, too. I know that – is he – like I've heard him referenced from the books. Is he like – somebody that is showing up now or is he sort of just like somebody they they pulled from another part of the book and just threw him in there it's interesting because his storyline technically was supposed to like be earlier and then end earlier so now he's kind of entirely not where he's supposed to be i mean i get it because now they kind of need a leader now that Fred's story also kind of ended earlier than it did in the books. So I'm interested to see where his goes. Yeah. I actually like, like the fact that Bull was there to basically be a blunt instrument to Monica and trying to prevent Monica from boarding uh, the Rossi. And girl power. Mm-hmm. I really like Monica's line, right? You know, oh, I was, you know, have you, uh, Bull said something to the effect, have you ever experienced zero G's before? And Monica replied, that, you know, yeah, I was so among the first people on, on this very ship to go through the, the ring gate and survive, right? And, and so Monica yeah. put Bull right in his place. Uh, it's, it's, I know. I I like, it was really satisfying. Yeah, Bull was one of the major POV characters in book three, right? And and then they basically gave his story to, did it go to Drummer? Drummer, I say? yeah. And then I thought it was going to end for Drummer the same way it ended for bull in the books like they alluded to it yeah it's it's really <laughs> weird watching a show like this where it kind of follows the book but it, it kind of doesn't so you kind of know what's happening but then something different happens and it's like yeah. well now everything's going to be going on a different path well so yeah because i don't know what is spoilers now too because like it's not really a spoiler to talk about how bull's story went in the books because now his story on the show is completely different but i also like don't want to reveal too much because i don't know what they're going to be taking from the books and like how they can transplant that event into the future yeah but it very much like looked in the uh since drummer kind of took on bull's role in the elevator shaft like they were gonna end her storyline the way they ended bulls and i was like 
no. <laughs> then she survived. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, so worried. <laughs> well, because she also kind of took on Sam, who didn't show up in the show. He's one of my favorite book characters, but that's fine. She took on Sam's character and Sam also died in the books. So I was like, I swear to God, if anything happens to Drummer, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't I'm remember not, who I'm Sam is. Who is that? Uh, she was like the lead mechanic on the on Tycho in book three. Well, she was in the first books, but. Oh, oh, is she like the cheerful, helpful person who really enjoyed upgrading the Rossi? Yep. Yeah. Oh, OK. And I Naomi were now. like yeah, yeah. best friends and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was a good character. Yeah. Yeah, but she just didn't make it into the show, which is fine, honestly, because then we got Drummer, and I love Drummer. <laughs> Before Joel, I, you had your hand raised earlier. Yes, because I was going to make a couple comments, but uh, I know you started off by saying we are going to do the some of the loose ends before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the, you know, the Amos uh, stuff and and the you know, Drummer Marker stuff. Can I just say? Uh, because there's some other characters which we saw briefly in this episode, namely uh, you know, Alex and Bobby, right? You know, this whole what happened with uh, being captured or being uh, attacked, you know, what, what happens to the Razorbacks slash the Screaming Firehawks? And and so I love the fact that what we saw in space with these two individuals doing anything, everything it, it takes to survive, to live another day. They, so they, you know, they, they showed audacity by going on the offensive when they're in space and these space suits, right? That was a very mm-hmm. good juxtaposition, what, which we later saw in the episode with Amos and, and his line about surviving and tribes. I thought that was great. Plus, before I forget, I got to say this. I thought the CGI in this scene was amazing. I thought the stars <laughs> in the background was accurate. And I quite like the one little CGI thing with the heads-up display uh, in Bobby's uh, power suit. That was great. Where they were all saying threat level low, threat level low. <laughs> yeah, that was a really cool action sequence. That was very well done. And and you know, we, we don't get to we don't get enough of Bobby and her Goliath armor kicking ass, and that was very cool, especially when she was like holding the other ship on with her bare hands. That was cool. Mm-hmm. I like when we get to see Bobby being Bobby being a badass, which is mostly what she does, but I appreciate seeing it on the Nonetheless, it reminds me a lot of season two and three when we first were introduced to her and you just got to see that side of her. Whereas a lot of last season, she was not relegated to the sideline, but she had a a lot more civilian like role, even up to up to so far in this season. Um, we've seen that. So it was a really welcoming return to form for her. And I do agree. It was that that action sequence was really nice. How she was really holding like herself on one uh, or the ship on one in one hand and then like the walkway on the other, which is really it was it kind of for me, it took me out of the episode because I had to remind myself that she's wearing like some very sophisticated and like high tech armor. And, you know, they're in space. So gravity is just, you know, not existent. <laughs> So you kind of have to like put yourself in into that mindset. But I think that the way that it was done and the way that the, like the cinematography showed sort of the tension, like, you know, it it still gave you that. It's like, I don't know if you guys are um, fans of Spider-Man, but I think in one of the um, in one of the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, he's like holding together, I think, 
two sides of a ship or something with his web. And it's just is really that one is kind of a little over the top, but this sort of reminded me of that, but in a more realistic and grounded way. Yeah, she really mm-hmm. went out on a limb there. On even two spaceships. <laughs> yeah, Joel, she did. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get a soundboard with like a little rim shot just for every time. Oh, I am saving a couple for later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll load it up right now. I'm always reminded of that claymation pirates movie from a few years back where the monkey's on the drums and he just gives this exhausted sigh and then does the drum snare. <laughs> <laughs> lovely maybe if ian is listening to this when he goes and edits it he can put in some kind of sound effect i doubt he'll remember <laughs> ian. wishful thinking <laughs> all right so can we go ahead and go to uh to marco and drummer and all of that now because i thought this was probably one of the best episodes for kind of to, to see just the belters all and like you have sort of two faction two sides of, of their faction now and it is just fascinating to watch on screen um you have marco on one side trying to just be manipulative to towards not only you know the literally everyone else in the universe but also the people on his ship you have him trying to be manipulative to philip um, even a, probably a little bit of Naomi as well. And then you have him also trying to work his magic on drummer and then her people. And, you know, obviously we, we see in the end that she sort of reluctantly agrees to take him up on his offer that he presented to her, but really only because she had to. And I, I think a lot can be learned from this because, you know, it's not often that you see, Especially in in our in our world, if we try to you know relate it to us, you know often it's one side or the other, and you don't really have like the this breaking of of um, you know opinions and and separations within like one side or the other side. And to kind of see it happen here was just, it it really made me think a lot and was just very very interesting to watch play out, especially with the way that everything was written. Yeah. Yeah. I think they literally like one of the drummer's crew, drummer's family, <laughs> I should say, when he went on about how he's Marco's pretending like it's a choice, but it's not a choice. And that's kind of the core of the problem that I have with yeah. Marco is that he's like made a choice for all builders. And now they basically have no option but to join with him like no matter how they feel because also like he mentioned earth isn't going to differentiate the inners aren't going to differentiate well mars who knows what mars doing right now <laughs> yeah they're they're having our own hard time but earth isn't going to fire sale on their warships <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they're having their own crisis earth who you know just got rocks dropped on them they're not going to differentiate between like which belter ship like did it. Marco just made a choice for all belters by doing this and made a target out of all of them. So he's basically made the choice for all of them. Like we have to unify under my banner or you're going to die. Yes. And Marco so is... for dropper in that because he very much manipulated the situation. 
and of course, he went one step further because there's always an element of control with these guys, these uh, psychopath, charismatic, you know, you know, rebel rousers types. Uh, so at the very end of the episode, we saw that, yes, German's crew joined the Free Navy and that they're mixing crews on purpose, right? Yeah. To make sure that there's loyalty there. Yeah. Yeah, that's an element of control by Marco. Like when you first see... But when you first go to Marco, too, he's freaking out about how the Rossi plan didn't work. And uh, he literally says, like verbatim, you know, this is they were meant to destroy a symbol of inner belter unity. So he's very much trying to wedge that divide even deeper. So anyone that might, you know, try to think that there is some sort of possibility that inners and belters can work together. He's trying to say, no, we can't do that. He's trying to destroy any example of it to try and force everyone's hand into believing that the belters are on their own. Yeah, he, he is such a deliciously horrible villain. I I, I hate him as much <laughs> as perhaps any villain in any book or TV show I've ever read. And I probably said this the last time I was on this show, but the actor is doing an amazing job at portraying Yo, him. Yeah. That was one of the things I was worried about reading him in the book. It's like, wow, this guy is so horrible, but how are you really going to sell this on screen? And this guy is doing it. He is so charming and horrible and charismatic. His name is Keon and Alexander. I had to look it up. Wait. Yeah. yeah. yeah Keon Alexander. I, I, I made and a he little, is amazing. Like, I made a little meme. And I feel like every time I talk about Marco, I have to add him. Like, this is not... Keon's fault because he I notice he'll like go through and like stuff about Marco and I'm like I love you Keon <laughs> you're doing great <laughs> you're doing great because I hate Marco so much <laughs> he's so like charismatic charismatic leader manipulative like oh I just want to punch it in the his pretty face <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that y'all are talking about how he he acts the way he does compared to the books because the way that I see it as if somebody who hasn't read the books yet is he almost comes across as the guy that you love to hate. Whereas if I just read the books, he might be the guy that I just, I hate, but you, you can't help, but just like have that, just the way that he comes across on screen, you can't help just be like, Oh, I like you. If I, if you weren't a villain, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the trouble is, you know, you know why he came to be and, you know, why there are people like him, because the inners sort of oppressed the Belters for so long. Of course, something like this was going to come up, but yeah. it's hard to have that much sympathy for him. Yeah, but mm-hmm. is he completely wrong? Because he... Let me ask you this, Laura. Is he yeah. completely wrong? You know, no, some he's is... not, which makes it, like, really difficult, but yeah. also... No, he's <laughs> no, but he has points, but he just goes about it the worst way yeah. and has brought everyone else into his mess. Yeah. And, you know, he has a line, which I believe he said to Naomi, right? And it's talking about the inners. And he says to, again, I believe Naomi, you can, that she can see because they were killing us slow. Yeah, it's the frog in a pot yeah. with hot water idea, right? Whereas if you put a frog in a boiling pot of hot water, the frog will jump out of the pot. But if you put the frog in water and slowly turn the temperature up, yeah, the frog's going to get boiled. 
That's a really interesting yeah. way of looking at things. Yeah. Like, no, he's... And There's but, definitely, like, there was a whole environment that was created that very much, like, you know, something like him was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I should actually clarify, I'm by no means advocating on Marco Anaris's behalf or mass genocide <laughs> or, 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 or violence at all. Please, this is completely fictional. Okay. I know. First, you started at the CGI, Joel. Now you're here. I can't believe it. <laughs> ah, terrible. Well, the reason I think he's so irredeemably awfully evil is that, you know, if he had succeeded in completely wiping out the planet Earth, that probably would have doomed. Well, and that's not true because the the the, the ring is open now. But I was going to say that, you know, if, if he had if he had done that before the ring opened, that would have wiped out humanity because without earth for food and everything they they could not have survived on just you know mars and and the asteroids and everything yeah so he I mean, he came so close to wiping have. out the human race probably still would have done considering like belters have such a hard time acclimating to living planet side and but, like trying to grow stuff on new planets is going to be a uh, a whole years, decades long process in a new biome. Like you, you still need. Well, no, he also mentioned that he has like research from Ganymede on it, so he's got steps in that direction. But yeah, I couldn't remember if they'd gone into that on the show yet. His mm-hmm. economic plan or his ecological plan? Yeah, yeah, he kind of mentioned it in passing because one of drummer's crew brought it up like hey we need earth for live oil and complex biologicals and he's like well i have a plan there will be thin years but eventually we'll get there now i'm, I'm going to say this vaguely but have they established on the show who it was that actually pushed the trigger on the asteroids like did like was it marco who did it marcos no, I don't think they've actually identified the person. Have, have they not expo- explicitly said that? No, not not the guy okay. doing it in the trenches, but yeah, Marker's responsible for it. He's the brainchild. Okay, all right, never mind. Don't be giving any spoilers, Derek. Nope, no spoilers. <laughs> this is a spoiler-free zone. That is, yeah, the one hard thing since the book and the show have kind of like... I mean, they're close, but there's a lot of storylines that have gone off and a lot of storylines that, you know, have appeared organically in the show and whatnot. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, is this a spoiler? (laughs) I have to go Mm -hmm. back and go through my brain. I'm like, nope, we haven't gotten there yet. Or like, no, this could still happen. And sometimes the timeline gets a little screwy. Like they showed the asteroids hitting. And my memory was that Amos was already in the prison with Clarissa when it happened. And they Mm -hmm. hadn't shown that yet. And I was like, are they not going to do the Clarissa in the prison storyline? Because they didn't show it happening and the asteroids are here now. But then they went back and did it. So, Yeah. I think that's the best part about this show, though, is because – you can like whenever it it ends next season, you know that in the back of your mind you're not going to pick up Leviathan Wakes and be like, man, I already know what's going to happen, you know, up to a certain point. 
And like, yeah, do I really like want to go through all of that, all of the books just to get to like, we're assuming that they, they're not going to do the last three yet. Um, you know, assuming that would be maybe in a later series, but if like, do you really want to think that? Well then, yeah, you have to, because so much not, I think the, the overall story and the, the major plot is, and probably will remain the same consistent to what the books are, but how you get there is, you know, it's sort of the same concepts, but it's almost a completely different journey. It's also so well-written. Like some of these big moments that have come about, like the rocks hitting earth or like one of my favorites was, uh, arrows dodging. Um, like these big moments are just written so well because they're not out of nowhere. So it's not like completely blindsiding you, but it still just like hits like a, hits like a rock. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's written so well, like where I just have to like put my bookmark in and set the book down and have a little, have a little lie down. <laughs> like, Oh my God, what did I just read? <laughs> Even so, even when like you know what's coming too, it's still very worth the read. Yeah, I think our best bet is Baltimore. Wait, that's something I would never have actually thought it would. I would hear I, me saying. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, let's talk about Amos. Sorry, can I? Uh, Jesus with a capital J. I'm sorry. Uh, can we talk about Amos? <laughs> I am always please. Let's let's go in that direction. I love this this interaction, right? From their their you know the presence at the A station and deciding to go through this conservation area that looks very much like Siberia, right? And, yeah. and among the pine trees and, and figuring out how they're going to survive. And of course, Clarissa is hurting; she's struggling. You know, she's going to die if she doesn't find shelter. And, and food, and they can't just stay at the, at the relief station because they will be identified, or she will be identified, and maybe shot by the military, right, as a threat because yeah. of her plants and the fact Oops, she's, yeah. A, yeah, she's, you know, she's an escapee, a, right? Refu- yeah. yeah, fugitive, that's the word. Yeah. Well, I liked, she had, like, like, her little anecdote about taking field trips into the conservancy zone and how her grandfather, like, helped plant this, all these trees and cause I like it because these two, Amos and Clarissa, are very similar, but you got to see in that moment like their origin stories are completely different. Yeah, and I don't didn't find that scene to be campy at all. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, can we get a sound effect here? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm sure people will be just opining uh, for the Amos semi nude scene, but uh, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> This one, this one dropped on my birthday. So I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Very kind of you. Yeah, I think that would be a good present, Laura. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, how did you know? Well, since they drop on Wednesday, I did air quotes with that. My birthday was on Tuesday. So I was like, well, thank you. Well, they this have been coming exactly out every Tuesday so for. far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing that I did think didn't really work very well was the the at camera shot of Clarissa attacking the guy, and it was just kind of like sped up, and that that looked that didn't really work for me. That looked kind of silly. Oh, uh, but that's a Twin Peak reference. 
right? This is what they did in Twin Peaks. So it's 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 film language. That's how I read it, right? It's like a good early 1980s style horror movie. So, uh, but if you I, weren't, I understand, yeah, like what they were going for. It seemed to like not mesh with the usual style, but I also like didn't hate it because it felt very much like you could tell she went sort of feral and then collapsed right after. I was like, oh well, good night. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there was a nod to David Lynch again, Twin Peaks, right? Mm-hmm. So it's. Yeah, this is a obscure reference to some some communities, but other communities it's just it's just well, so well known. So that's how I read it. Yeah. But if you're not familiar with you know that film language, yeah, I can see how it can be a bit distracting or at least inconsistent with the rest of the series. I watched one episode. I watched the first episode of Twin Peaks. It was very boring and nothing happened, and I never went back to it. <laughs> they drank coffee and ate donuts. Come on, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like people like sitting around and talking, and I was like, "Where's the weird stuff?" <laughs> oh well, that, that's for another podcast. But let's just get on, get on with this one. Hey, what guys make? What guys made of this? You know, with uh, Amos and Clarissa, uh, drape and you and flags, like using flags as clothing. It made him look like a superhero. He had a cape on. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a funny, it's a fun metaphor, a bit, you know, uh, on the nose, so to speak. But still, it's like, okay, so they, they tear a flag in half. And so each had a half and, and using it as an outer layer, as a coat or a jacket. Interesting. So maybe, maybe the, the UN will protect them. You know, maybe that's a metaphor. We'll see. And of course... Sorry, Chris. Just one other point I want to mention because I don't want to forget this, and and this is such a funny little uh, line uh, said by Clarissa. Yeah, the whole Schrodinger's uh, parent uh, line. You guys oh, yeah. remember that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, I have it written down in my chicken scratch on my notebook. Okay. So uh, so the line is, you know, what is Schrodinger's parent? Because Amos, you know, says, "What is that?" And and Clarissa slash Peachy uh, Peaches said. A parent you never hear from exists in a in a quantum state, both dead and alive, until you check up on them, and the act of observing makes one of the two states true. Oh God, that's excellent. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the relationship between the two of them. You know, it's it's very touching the way Amos takes her under his wing and instinctively protects her. And I and I really love that scene at the end where after they killed the guy, she's kind of like, you know, we went out of the way to go after this guy and kill him and get his supplies. Like, that's not something that good people do. He's kind of like, hmm, you know, yeah, you're right. I should go back to Holden. Yeah, I need to rejoin my crew, right? Just because he happened. Yeah, I was like, I, you, know, I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. You're right. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, Derek, because um, we – or I was uh, reading the – just a few recaps of this episode before we started recording. And that was something that both people that were reviewing it mentioned. And I didn't think about it the first time that I watched it about how he is, especially when we first started the show, he was, I think I mentioned this last week, he was really more of like the tank and like the tough guy. And then now we're sort of seeing that he is that character, but he's also a lot more like he's not just that he has, a very humanistic side to him, especially being around people like Holden for however long it's been now. And I just, I I can appreciate the fact that he recognizes that when he's away from them, he, it 
damages him like in ways that he doesn't like. And he starts to revert back to probably this person he was before he was put on that crew. And it just is honestly a, a great character moment for him to kind of acknowledge that. And at the time I thought it was a weird line. Cause that's like the last line of the episode. And then it just cuts to credits. And it was kind of a weird line. Cause you know, we're used to this, you know, something either some big cliffhanger or some big, you know, momentous line or, or event that happens to close out an episode. But the fact that this one did was just, I don't know. It, it really, it really struck home after I watched it a second time, knowing that, you know, what other people have said and like kind of having that in the back of my mind. Yeah. He kind of has this uh, fundamental damage from, from the way he grew up as a child that he kind of has, trouble understanding between right and wrong and defaults to violence in most situations, which is why he always tries to find someone good and moral to attach to, to so that they can show him like what's right or wrong because he has trouble recognizing it himself. In this instance, he was trying to do it to help Clarissa. But yeah, when she points out like this might not have been the right method, like it might've been a good motivation but we still went out of our way to kill a dude, even if it was to survive or whatever. But yet, or to help my sick friend. And yet, Amos really recognizes that he's better with a bigger tribe. Right now, I think he's in a tribe of two, but if he rejoins his old crew, the tribe will get larger. And even that, yeah. if you look at that from the start of this episode with them draping the UN flags, right? That's written large, right? Nation states or planets are huge communities. They're huge tribes. Well, overall, I thought this was a great episode. You know, it didn't have any major bombastic sequences in it, really. But it's it's this has been a wonderful season. I'm loving where the season and the story is going. It's a great book. It's a great season. And things will just keep getting better and better as we go along. One question I had for you guys, because I agree with you, Derek, and it it brings up something that I saw on Twitter right before we were recording. I think it was Ty on the uh, James S.A. Corey account had retweet quoted somebody and um, they were saying how, because the discussion was about how the show went from being episodic on sci-fi and then they drop all the whole season at once for once for one season when it came to Amazon and then that kind of like started the whole binge culture and somebody had made like an offhanded comment about, Oh, I've binged all of the expanse in however many days or weeks or whatever. And then they're like, well, Ty said, well, it's not really you know supposed to be a, a binged series. And then somebody made some kind of snarky comment about how this, the uh, series had dropped and how, it's being review bombed right now by everybody like season five is because it's not, you know, it's an episodic thing again and it's not all dropped at once. And I'm sitting here thinking like, in what world is this being review bombed? Or maybe I can see one or two negative reviews per episode, but for the most part, I've seen nothing but praise and I don't, like it, I don't see where you can get this negative feelings from the show this season. You just get a couple people yelling about how they don't like it, and they're just loud enough that it feels like more. Yeah. I know, like, my friend's mad that it didn't all come out at once, but also a lot of people I know will purposefully, like, limit themselves to however many episodes a day or whatever 
and yeah, then they'll I, put I off watching the yeah, and then they'll put off watching the finale or whatever so it doesn't end. I'm like, this is just putting a limiting factor on it for you. And the the fun of it is having to wait week to week and, and guess at what's happening next and you know, read things about it and talk about it with your friends. I mean that that's the whole joy of the show when the entire thing and just dumps at once. You don't get honestly, to spend time with it. I can use something to look forward to each week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like right now. Yeah. Could, it's nice to have something nice happen each week instead of just disaster, disaster, disaster. And my attention span is maybe five minutes. So, you know, just trying to get through a 40 minute episode and pay attention is hard enough. But to, I, I would never be able to just sit there and watch six episodes in a row, no matter how much I love the show. I would, and it's bad for me. <laughs> I only do like five minute attention span or like hyper focus for 12 hours. I'm <laughs> like, uh oh. I had to admit to the platelet donor lady that I saw like two weeks after my last donation that, because I started Shit's Creek. I'm watching that too right watch now. Yeah, you just get to watch Netflix while you donate. And so I started like season one, episode one. And then when I went in for my next donation, she's like, are you going to watch Shit's Creek again? I love that show. I was like, I finished it. Now, you <laughs> didn't donate blood for 12 hours straight, did you? <laughs> yeah, I just okay. sat there and I was like, just keep going. <laughs> uh, wait a second. There's Canadian content on the show? Okay, I like it. <laughs> I did. Well, do any of you guys have uh, any closing thoughts? I know Derek kind of already gave his. I thought this was a great episode, too. Um, I mean, it, it just, again, we, it's, it's the same thing week after week. I feel like I could just say the same, like I could write it down and say it every week. I love this show. I love the character development. Even if we don't get a lot of action, don't care. I'll still watch it and be fully immersed. That's something Ty also mentioned. He's like, you can't have a whole show of nothing but red weddings when people are like yeah not watch happened like you need character development and there was a lot of that in this episode and that is primarily what i enjoy about this show it I, makes the big big moments <laughs> really hurt <laughs> really just arrow through the heart because <laughs> you're connected to all of them i think this episode was solid Although I, uh, I'm disappointed that no one got spaced. You know, there was a threat of that, but generally <laughs> they tried. Yeah. yeah well. I'm not disappointed they didn't space who they said they were going to space. <laughs> Maybe next episode. We'll see. <laughs> I'm still waiting for them to talk about Naomi's backstory with Marco, as they mentioned, like the Augustine Gamara, the code that they dropped into the Rossi. And how she knew about that. And I was like waiting for it. So maybe it's in this episode because I know people are talking about uh, Naomi in it. I can see it on Twitter and I'm I'm going to go watch it right after we're done recording. Yep, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of The Crash Couch. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Crash Couch. We're not doing the live tweeting these days, unfortunately, just because who has time for anything anymore? But it is what it is. Uh, I do want to encourage people, though, if you do kind of miss that live tweeting experience, I think it's on Wednesday nights that the um, Expanse Twitter and the Expanse Writers Room have been um, doing their live tweets. So 
uh, keep an eye out on their Twitter because they're generally pretty fun. And even though we really all can't congregate at once like we used to in the sci-fi days, they still manage to do it and be successful at it. So um, you can do it there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Curse of Chris. Joel, where are you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the at uh, my first name, Joel J O E L underscore Welch W L C H. I also do a show, another podcast called the Sci Fi Pubcast. And believe it or not, one of my uh, staff is this Derek BB guy. Who, uh, yeah, he's on this show right now, right, Derek? Yes. There you go, man. There you go. And I'm much less normal on that one. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, what about yours? Uh, you can find me at Laura Donut, D-O-N-U-T, where I'm just popping off about how much I hate Marco. Come join me. <laughs> <laughs> and Derek, where are you on Twitter? I'm at Derek J. Beebe. And how do you spell Beebe? Bees and boy, E's and elephant, E's and elephant, bees and boy, E's and elephant. Okay. There you go. I, I know P, I, I know that there would be somebody that would hear that and type in Derek B B, like the yeah. letter B twice. Yeah, nobody ever gets it right. <laughs> well at least you have a proper username, unlike Laura's old name. I know. I was like, yeah, at least it's not me with the weird username right now. <laughs> Mine's okay now. <laughs> it's back to normal, right? It's back to normal. All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Crash Couch. We will see you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.